Now, in the last message, we gave three causes of human suffering or miscellaneous causes, and today we're going to cover three more. I do ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to some passages of Scripture that we will be looking at to develop our thoughts from. First, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We have already considered under the miscellaneous causes of suffering that our suffering can be traced to our Adamic nature. We are exposed to sin and suffering in a fallen world. We also looked at last week that much of our suffering is traceable to our personal sinning. We saw this in the example of David, Ananias and Sapphira, Herod, and a number of other instances of, of individuals when they committed sin, they were immediately judged because of their sinning. So our personal sins many times bring upon ourselves our sufferings. And then we considered that our sufferings are sometimes brought on by the sins of others, angels and men. David's baby suffered because of his father's sin. And so these are various causes, so that these are complex and when we try to give simple answers to complex questions, we come up dissatisfied. And the Bible won't allow that to happen. So we have to look at all the multiple purposes that the Bible gives for suffering. Now, reading from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, the disciples have a question. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. The disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now catch that, he's born blind from his birth. So they're asking, is the cause of his blindness something that he did? Well, that would have had to been in the womb. Or is it something that his parents did? Unusual question, but it reflects the belief system at that time. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now turn back to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, and verses 13 and 14. 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also hath put away your sin, you shall not die. Howbeit, because of this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Then one more passage in the book of Genesis, chapter 50 and verse 20. Reference to the life of Joseph and his brothers, the conclusion of the scenario. Genesis 50 and verse 20. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. I hope that you who have been here on a regular basis for these previous messages are becoming aware that as we add these individual pieces of information to our puzzle, it helps us to see the big picture more clearly. 
But it also informs us of the complexity of the issue. Simple, one-dimensional answers will not satisfy when we're dealing with complex, multiple-dimensional problems. If we leave some biblical data out of the puzzle, we will make wrong conclusions. In other words, if you just pick out one of these causes and make that the total answer for human suffering, you're going to reach wrong conclusions in many individual circumstances. And this is seen in how the disciples of Jesus were interpreting the case of the man who was born blind. The account we read in the ninth chapter of John. We have the disciples' question in verse 2, and the answer given by Jesus in verse 3. His disciples ask him, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sin nor his parents, but the works of God should be manifest, be made manifest in him. The disciples' question revealed that their understanding of suffering was that they had equated the cause of the man's blindness to sin. In this, they were correct. But they went further in concluding that there must have been a specific sin committed either by the man or by his parents that the blindness might have been caused by some sin on the part of the parents is possible. You remember David's baby suffered because of David's sin. So they had access to that part of the Bible. But the possibility of a child sinning while in the womb has very little support in Scripture. There were some Jewish rabbis who debated whether Esau displayed sinful actions while he was in the womb. You remember the twins, how they struggled in the womb? Jacob and Esau. A certain group of rabbis felt that Esau was sinning against Jacob. And they based their view on the vague passage found in Genesis 25:22, where the twins struggled in Rebekah's womb. And then they went to Psalm 58 and verse 3, and they applied that psalm to the question, can a baby sin personally in the womb? And that psalm reads this way, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So some in Christ's day concluded that prenatal sinning in the womb was possible. And this is probably what gave ground to the disciples' question. Master, did this man sin while he was in the womb, before he was born, or is his blindness due to his parents' sin? Now, in answering the question, it's important to note that Jesus does not deny the general connection between sin and suffering connected with the fall. When Jesus makes the statement, neither has the man sinned nor his parents, he is not denying that the man is a sinner. 
he is not denying that his parents were sinners and that there is a connection between human suffering and the fall of man in the garden. But he does deny that this universal connection can always be applied to a particular sin and its result. Neither does Jesus deny that God could not control the scope of sin or that sin was beyond the boundaries of his purpose. Instead, he affirmed that God was going to use the effects of sin to glorify his name and to bring good out of an evil situation. Jesus did not try to protect God and say, well, now God didn't have anything to do with this activity. He's a million miles away. I remember hearing the former well-known evangelist Jimmy Swaggart on TV uh, one time in which that he was dealing with a hurricane or something of that nature, and he said God wasn't a million miles within that incident. Well, that's not the case. You do not try to protect God in his control over the created order to try to bring about an answer to human suffering. Jesus proceeded to heal the man and manifested his glory as God incarnate in the flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, there we are told that Timothy was afflicted with frequent illnesses. Paul, what did he tell him to do? Anybody know? Take some doses of wine for medicinal healings. And on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he had to leave Trophimus behind in Miletus due to illness on his part. In neither of these instances is there a specific sin connected with the specific illness that has occurred. Also, in neither of these two instances is there any occurrence of miraculous healing. There are two errors regarding suffering and death which are widely present in today's Christianity. The first error is that there are those who believe that those who are suffering are guilty of some secret sin which they have not confessed. And the second error, somewhat related, is that those who are suffering are lacking in faith, or otherwise they would certainly be healed in that it is believed that it is always God's will to heal. The first error, that is the belief that there is some unconfessed sin, wrongly assumes that there is always a connection between a specific occurrence of suffering and a specific sin. And this is the mistake the disciples were making. The second error, those who affirm that it's one's lack of faith as to why they are suffering, they wrongly assume that it is always God's will, will to heal, heal any ailment and that he is prevented from doing so because of an inadequate faith on the part of the sufferer. 
Those who imbibe these two errors reveal their biblical ignorance on the data that is confound in the Bible. Or else they reveal their personal insensitivity in adding to the grief of those who are suffering by implying that they are suffering because they don't have enough faith. One of the worst things you can do is walk into a hospital room in a cancer ward and tell all those people they don't have to be there if they just had enough faith. That only adds to the grief. Don't you think they'd give anything to get out of that cancer ward? And for a person to walk in the name of Christ or of God and say, you could get out of here if you just believed enough. How insensitive people can be to human suffering. Meaning well, but only adding grief to the sufferer. Reason number five is that Reason four, there may be no specific sin involved in human suffering. Now we move to number five. And hold on, because this one may get close to home. The violation of God's natural laws. Suffering and death may be caused by known or unknown violations of God's natural laws relating to human health and personal hygiene. If we are not careful, we will limit suffering and the instances of suffering and death to those of instantaneous supernatural occurrences, such as hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and people dying suddenly in automobile accidents, and overlook the fact that suffering and death may be the gradual outcome of natural processes at work in our bodies. As most of you know, I have two hearing aids that I have to wear in order to function in society. When I'm home in my study, I take them out because they're irritable, they, they make me nervous, and I don't particularly need to hear anything. But when I need to hear something, I better put these hearing aids in. I believe that my present hearing loss, and Brother Clint, you may can appreciate this, my present hearing loss can be traced back to my quail hunting days in which I shot a shotgun extensively, without using earplugs to protect my hearing. May I say in passing, particularly to you young people, watch out for the loud radios and the headphones because you are setting yourself up for problems down the road. Just as I didn't know that I was causing my future hearing problem by violating a natural law. That didn't make me exempt. Whether I know it or don't know it, I'm suffering the consequences of what I did in years past. Had I known at the time that this was occurring, I most certainly would have made use of earplugs. 
I violated a natural law of cause and effect, and I suffered the consequences in doing so. Now, as we humans pollute the air we breathe, pollute the water, defile the soil, we bring suffering and death upon ourselves. I'm going to interject something here that's not in my notes. I think I'm one of the few Reformed teachers that seems to have any major concern about environmental issues. I'm sick of the liberals and the people who worship nature being the ones who get all the credit for preserving our environment. If anybody ought to be an environmentalist, it ought to be a Christian. To uphold the beauties of God's created order. And the idea that we as Christians, that we can just destroy the woods and the plants and all of this and pave it with parking lots for more Walmarts, I personally take great issue with that because I believe God does. Adam and Eve were given the responsibility to oversee the beauty of the garden and to use the resources and develop those resources and see that those resources were there for future generations to use. Enough said, okay? Man is responsible for the proper management of God's environment. If you live on a river, and I live two miles down the river, it's not your right to dump your septic tank into that river if I've got to drink the water out of that river. That's not loving me as your neighbor. That's a violation of one of the great commandments of God is not considering your neighbor and the effects that our actions have upon our neighbors. All right. The refusal or the neglect to properly care for our environment adds to man's misery in living in this fallen world. Overeating. Eating an unbalanced diet and a lack of physical exercise gradually over the course of time breaks down the body's ability to function. Our medical doctors established observing the natural law that we are now an obese nation. We consume far too many calories than what our bodies can burn. And we may think that we can presume upon the mercy of God and be spared the consequences as our bodies age, but we're fooling no one. We're bringing on ourselves future suffering for the way we are behaving at the present time. Not only overeating, but young girls primarily who want to maintain their figures, fall into the bulimia and anorexia. Eat food and then vomit it up, lest the calories add to their weight. That is destroying the body. And future consequences will manifest themselves in the days to come. 
Follow what we're saying? Is that as we violate the natural laws which God has established of cause and effect, we are gradually bringing suffering upon ourselves in the future. Eating an unbalanced diet. Too much of one item to the neglect of others causes the body's breakdown and its ability to function. We cannot break these basic rules for natural health and presume upon the mercy of God to protect us from the consequences. I may get up on the roof of this church and jump off and it's not going to take long for me to suffer. Okay? There'll be a quick cause and effect. But I can violate these other things that I've made reference to and there's not the immediate effect, but there will be over a process of time. And we're prone to think that this is just part of aging and growing old and that this is something that God overlooks. I don't agree with that. I think we are responsible beings under the authority of God's created order to not only learn the mysteries of God's redemptive purposes in Christ, but to uncover the mystery of God's created order. I believe Adam, had he not fallen, would have learned much about the world in which he had been created in. I also maintain that in the new heavens and the new earth, although we shall be perfected and without sin, we shall forever be learning and acquiring more understanding about the infinite nature of our God and the created order of the new heavens and the new earth. We're not going to be bored to death sitting down by a riverside and soaking our feet in the river and playing a harp or floating on a crowd cloud somewhere. We're going to be very active in participating in the new heaven and the new earth, and that's going to be an unfolding, mind-bending, expanding experience for us. It would have been for Adam. Adam didn't know everything there was to know about the created order, but he would have had access to that. And it's been his fall into sin which has prevented much, but through God's common mercies and grace, even unsaved men are able to uncover the mysteries of God's created order. And we ought to be grateful for that. For many of the healing medicines that we have today have been uncovered by some certain plants in God's created order that they're now being used for healing and medicinal purposes. So, And much of that is done by unbelievers rather than believers. We bring suffering upon ourselves with how we handle our finances. Improper use of finances. Fraudulent use of finances. Unwise investments. Trying to move Rob Peter to pay Paul. Over a course of time, this all begins to build. And then we find ourselves, how are we ever going to get out of this thing? We bring that on ourselves. If I had any say-so in the public school system, I would insist that everyone who graduated from high school have an understanding of how to handle finances. And if you're a parent, it's your responsibility to teach your children how to use finances, how to make money, how to spend money, what to spend it for, and not to spend more than you make. 
Live within your means. And when you don't, you're going to be behind the eight ball and you're going to feel the pressure of afflictions and trials. People are going to be, the bill collectors are going to be on your phone. They're going to be bothering you. And it'll all be because you haven't learned the laws of economics. As much as possible, live peaceably with all men. We bring suffering on ourselves in our human relationships by walking around with chips on our shoulders, daring other people to knock them off. Never so often they do. <laughs> and then we suffer the consequences. How many physical illnesses are caused by suppressed anger, jealousy, bitterness, and guilt? How many ulcers, how much high blood pressure and colitis could be avoided if such behavior were avoided? Now, if you're listening to me carefully, I did not say that every case of high blood pressure is due to you violating a law. I said that may be a cause because it's complex and I cannot walk up to anyone and automatically say the reason you're suffering is because of this. It's what we're learning in this. How many emotional problems have their origin in a dysfunctional family? By dysfunctional, I mean that for one reason or another, a family is not functioning as God has instructed them to do in His Word. How many teenagers and adults grew up never enjoying the security of growing up in a home where equal amounts of love and discipline were present? Now, folks, don't think that doesn't make a scar on a young person who grows up in a dysfunctional family, either with no love or excessive love with no discipline in the home. Look at the problems which existed in the children of David and Eli, whom the Bible said that they both failed to exercise discipline in the home. More examples could be given to show that we are slowly and quietly bringing on our own suffering by the lifestyles we choose to live and the environment to which we are being exposed. But let us keep the pieces of information properly connected. There are factors which we may not be aware of when we draw conclusions on these matters. An overweight person may have a thyroid problem. Not everyone who has contacted AIDS has engaged in immoral sexual practices and used illicit drugs. And I've heard Christian pulpiteers make statements that the whole AIDS community is brought on by the sexual revolution when there are infants that are born into this world with it. You see the complexity of the issues 
Not every consequence can be traceable to a direct cause or sin. We who are fellow sinners need to be very cautious about pointing the finger at other sinners. May God make us as wise as serpents and what? And harmless as doves when we're trying to help people who are suffering. If we only had one piece, we could say, here's the cause of it all. But we've got many pieces. And it takes a skill to be able to learn those pieces and to be able to apply them to the circumstances in which that we are exposed. The sixth miscellaneous cause of human suffering. Suffering and death may be used by God to bring good out of an evil situation. Two examples will be given. They are those of Joseph in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. The story of Joseph is very lengthy. In fact, it makes up most of the book of Genesis, far more than the creation account, the life of Abraham. He is mistreated at the hands of his brothers, And it's a very emotional and instructive story. He grew up in a large family in which he was the favored son of his father, Jacob. And because of this, he was hated by his brothers and sold into Egyptian slavery. I'm having to recount the story rather than going there because of time element. Joseph had a dream as a young man. The interpretation of that dream was such that he saw a time out here in the future in which all of his brothers and his father would come and bow down and submit to his authority. Now, I ask you, in all honesty, if you got word of that and you was one of his brothers, how would you respond? (laughs) Huh? I know what you'd do because I know what I would have done. Well, who do you think you are? Daddy's favorite. You think that we're going to come and bow down and express our dependence upon you? No way. And so animosity developed among the siblings. They developed a plan. They're going to take Joseph out and kill him. Remember, he had a coat of many colors. going to Shed the blood of an animal and take the coat back, show his dad and said that he's dead. So their evil plan is hatched. They take off a distance from where they live, ready to kill him and throw him in a pit. And then about that time, a camel caravan of slave traders came over the horizon. They got to thinking, wait a minute. Why do we need to kill him? We can make some money out of this and accomplish the same thing. Let's just sell him into Egyptian slavery. We'll never hear from him again. And we'll put blood on the coat, go back and tell Dad, 
that he's gone and we've got some money out of it. Evil, wicked plans. So Joseph is taken down into Egypt. And there his life is like a roller coaster. He behaves himself wisely. And he's promoted into the cabinet. And then Potiphar's wife gets her eyes upon Joseph, evidently a very handsome young man, and tries to have an illicit affair with him. He flees from her presence, but in fleeing, he lost his top coat. She took the top coat to her husband and charged Joseph with trying to rape her. So Joseph has gone from a slave in the prison to up into the cabinet of the political realms, and now then he's thrown back into prison again. All this time, this dream is in his mind. I wonder if it's really going to come true. Am I going to die here in the dungeon, or is there going to come a time in which my brothers and my dad are going to come and bow down before me? And you know the story of the drought which that all the brothers had to leave their land and go down into Egypt. And to the amazement of myself and others, they find that their brother Joseph is in control of the food supply. The one whom they have sinned against is going to control whether they live or not, and they don't even know who he is. And they go in and they make appeal for food to purchase so much so that they can keep the families alive. In the process of time, Joseph eventually reveals himself to his brothers. And you can imagine the startled effect it would have. Joseph says, don't be grieved against yourself. You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring the past as it is this day to save much people alive. And their whole family was saved from the drought. Human lives were spared because of the brothers' sins back here. Had they not sinned, what would have happened to them? We don't know. God can bring good out of a suffering, evil situation. Have you not had it happen in your life? One of the old Puritans made this statement that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. You know what he meant by that? Is that God can bring a righteous good outcome out of a sinful instrument. Oh, well, then if that's true, Brother Jim, then what I'll do, I'll just go out here and sin all this much so God can do all this. What would Paul say? God forbid, you're not hearing right. Only God can bring good out of evil. And he did in the life of Joseph. He did in the life of the man that is born blind. It gave God the opportunity to manifest His glory. Your suffering and my suffering may be brought on by ourselves. It may be brought on by others. It may be brought on by the fact that we're living in a fallen world under the curse of God. But we may also suffer for no personal sin on our own in a specific instance, as in the case of Job. 
So if you are suffering today, you should be asking yourself now, which of these might be applicable to my set of circumstances so that I can learn from this and profit from it? The evil which the brothers did to Joseph produced character in Joseph and brought good out of an evil situation. The sufferings and death of Jesus were ordained by God to bring about good for His people and glory for His Son. Can you all agree with that? In Luke 24, 26, Jesus said, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Luke 24, 46 and 47, He said, It behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I believe the most wicked deed ever performed by fallen man was the crucifixion of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Peter said, You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 2.23 Yet, he went on to say, that these wicked hands were but doing, quote, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined for to be done, rather in Acts chapter 4 and verse 28. A wicked deed, the crucifixion, and yet God brought marvelous good and glory out of the cross. Your sufferings may be doing the same. God was in control of it. Men were sinning in their actions. Jesus was suffering because of what others were doing to Him. And God's purpose in redemptive goodness was being accomplished. Whose will was being done at Calvary? The Jews? The Gentiles? The rulers? Satan's will was being done? Man's will was being done, but God's will was being done. Now, we've got to put all of those factors within the puzzle. You take any of those out and you'll come up with a warped understanding of the cross and human suffering. The Jews interpreted the sufferings of Jesus as He hung on the cross as God's curse on a great sinner. And they knew that only those that are hanged on a tree are cursed by God. And Brother Jim, they could stand there with their verdict and say, we are right. Look, we were correct in our assessment of this man. He is a blasphemer because only those who are hung on a tree are dying under the curse of God. We've got the Bible on our side. The disciples initially interpreted His sufferings in the garden as a sign that Jesus was giving up to His enemies and forsook and fled. But God interpreted His sufferings as rendering satisfaction for human sin. And believers interpret Christ's suffering as providing for the forgiveness of their sins. How do you see the cross? As these six pieces are placed in the puzzle, 
we can now begin to see that while God controls sufferings for His own glory and the believer's good, we cannot always know the specific reason why He allows suffering in each instance. The book of Job teaches us that all the various answers that we have covered to the mysteries of suffering are inadequate. Some of the answers may be true some of the time, but there may be no definite answer available to us all the time. This reminds us that we are not all wise like God. Consider the book of Job. Job thought at first he ought to be able to understand why he was suffering. But he's wrong. And if you're here today and you think you ought to be able to understand every reason why you're suffering, you're wrong. You're not going to be given that answer in this life. Job thought that God owed him an explanation. But he was wrong again. Job's friends, quote unquote, showed up and they thought they understood why Job was suffering. But how wrong they were. Satan thought he knew how Job would respond to suffering. And the deceiver was deceived. Let me touch him. I know how he'll respond. Satan was wrong. So if we have friends who are suffering, let us be very careful lest we turn in to one of Job's friends and add to their suffering. Now, I hope you see, as we come to the conclusion of our thoughts today, why we have made this outside perimeter of our puzzle in the straight line and have maintained that we must keep those four dimensions in place in order to understand the miscellaneous reasons for suffering. If you take these out, you'll come up with ideas like have been fostered in the health and wealth movement as such, which does not consider this outside dimension. And they pull out particular individual causes and apply that to the whole of biblical data. And they are overlooking much that is found in the Bible to their own destruction. So may God help us then to seek to know more of His will. Now next Sunday, the Lord willing, we're going to move toward the center of our puzzle. And we're going to look at the subject of the purpose in Christian suffering. If any man suffer as a what? As a Christian. This is more so than just being exposed to miscellaneous sufferings by living in a fallen world like the unbelievers, there is a purpose in Christian suffering. 
And we'll look at that in two dimensions, and then the final messages will be focused right in the center, which will be a circle in which we're going to describe the rewards in heaven based upon how we suffer here in this life. Who has been exalted to the highest place in the moral universe as a human being? Who has? Jesus Christ. Who suffered the most? Jesus did. We're going to find out what the Bible has to say about martyrdom and the promises that are given to martyrs who die for the cause of Christ and where they will be at in the world to come. And see the connection between the level of suffering to which you have been exposed and the character that it produces will be where you will be placed at in service in the world to come. Don't look at your sufferings and your trials as that which is tearing your life apart. Instead, see them as positive and constructive. And may it produce a character that will stand the test. If this be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled and deeply grateful for the book you've given us. A book which opens the mysteries of human suffering as no other book has ever done in human history. We marvel at your plan and purpose to be able to conquer suffering through suffering. The suffering of your Son to pay our sin debt and our own personal suffering to conform us to the fellowship of His sufferings. Bless us as we work through this and may it be very practical in the lives that we live. Thank you for the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have gone up, the lessons that have been taught this day. We pray that we may leave your house this day in this assembly, saying it's been good to be in the presence of your Word. And may Jesus receive the preeminence in all that has been said and done in today's worship service. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Brother.